Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. Well, good morning, and uh, let me add my welcome. It is so good to see you guys. Y'all are amped up today. I've just noticed a vibe in this service, so that's awesome. Love that. And I want to take a minute and thank my Horizon West Church family, a lot of you watching online. Guys, I miss you. Uh, So desperate to be back together with you, but thank you for continuing to stream with us, uh, and we're with you in spirit today uh, together. Uh, You know, this year has been a tough year, right? Like, there's no getting around that. For, for all of us, we have felt the weight of the conflict uh, around us, and some of you are walking through really, really difficult and tough things. And so today, I want to talk to you about something that I think God wants to speak into us and over us. I want to ask you this question. What comes to mind when you hear the word peace? Uh, maybe it's the, the peace sign. I remember scribbling and doodling this, you know, uh, when I was younger and trying to perfect it. Uh, or, or maybe some of you, this person comes to mind, kind of a, a leftover hippie flashing the peace sign. Or maybe for you, it's just a place of serenity and calm and peace where you can just enjoy being away and by yourself. By the way, next week is Father's Day, so if you would like to purchase some fishing gear, this would be the time to do that for your husbands or your dads. But what enters your mind when you think of peace? And secondly, is it the picture that the Bible creates about peace? When we go to the Old Testament, we see the word shalom appear 236 times. This is the Hebrew word for peace. And it conveys a a, a full range of ideas, including wholeness, health, contentment, quiet, friendship, and of course, the absence of conflict. This is what scholars call the semantic range. When they piece together a word in something like Hebrew, they're trying to figure out the nuanced ways that it's used. And when it's used 236 times, it gives you a broad perspective. And as we look at the shalom of the Bible, what we translate as peace in the English language, we find that peace is not the absence of something, but rather the presence of something. I would say it like this, the kingdom of God is the presence of peace. In fact, if I were to go to the first page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, you would see there that God created a world that was at perfect peace. Men and women had peace with God and with each other. Even the animals lived at peace with one another. God told them, uh, told Adam, he said, that there is seed-bearing plants for you to eat. In other words, the perfect people were vegans. Can I get an Amen. Just kidding, I'm not a vegan, but maybe one day. But listen, that is how the world was created. It was created in peace. And then if I were to take you to Revelation chapter 22, to the last page of the Bible, we would see a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy of the wolf lying down with the lamb. No more killing, no more bloodshed, no more violence, but rather perfect peace. But as many of us know, something happened between the first page of the Bible and the last page. That something is called sin. It was man's bent on doing it his way and not God's. And the moment that men and women fell into sin, the kingdom of God was usurped by the kingdom of men. Another way to say that is that the presence of peace was displaced by chaos and destruction and death. 
And I know those of you that are in the room, you're going to stick with me for the next 20 minutes or so, but at the risk of losing some on the stream, I want to say now there is a remedy. There is a remedy for this situation of chaos and conflict and death. A God-man named Jesus sent from heaven to restore peace to the world. This is who Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's why this morning, I'm not anchoring my hope ultimately in a president, but in the Prince of Peace. That's where my hope is, that there is one named Jesus who will ultimately restore the world to its original design. This is what John Piper said about the issue. God is a peace-loving God and a peacemaking God. The whole history of redemption, climaxing in the death and resurrection of Jesus, is God's strategy to bring about a just and lasting peace between rebel man and himself, and then between man and fellow man. And when Jesus showed up, he not only died and was raised to life to bring us to peace with God, but he lived and he worked and he taught to show us what peace looks like. I want to invite you to go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. This is going to be the text that we're going to be anchored in today. And I want to read for you just the very first words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 9. He says this, Blessed are the peacemakers. What I want to do this morning in the time that we have is give you three ways that you can be a peacemaker. In other words, we're going to answer the question, how do I live as a person of peace in a world of conflict? Here's the first thing I would tell you. Peacemakers show up. Notice that Jesus does not say, blessed are the peacekeepers, because a peacekeeper implies that you're preserving an order that already exists. And the truth is, there is not peace in our world. That is not the way things are. So keeping peace is not an option. What we need to be is peacemakers, people who bring into existence something that does not exist already in our world. Now, I grew up as the middle child of seven kids. Um, any other middle kids in the room or online, you can let us know in the stream. You hold your hands up high. It's not a bad thing. You don't have to be ashamed of this. Come on. Middle kids represent, right? And, and as the middle child of seven kids, and also for those of you that follow personality types in the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram nine, I would prefer not to deal with conflict. Like, I have vivid memories of being in middle school and high school, and one of my older siblings was, like, pushing the envelope and getting a fight with my parents, and I would just go into my room and, like, turn Weezer all the way up or, or play my guitar or literally sometimes just pray and say, God, please make the shouting stop. Didn't like conflict. But, but to me as a, as a child, one of the things that I've had to learn as an adult is it's not about simply avoiding conflict. In fact... Rather than running from conflict, what peacemakers do is they run into it and they seek to cultivate in the midst of tension and turmoil, reconciliation, friendship, and lasting peace. Last week, Pastor Danny used the expression stepping into brokenness. Stepping into brokenness. This is what Jesus did and this is the example that he gave us to follow. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 2 verses 5 through 8. 
have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul says, Christian, this is your example to follow. Now, can you think of a place more serene and peaceful than heaven? No, obviously not, right? And yet Jesus said, I'm going to give all of this up temporarily. I'm going to give all of this up to come into the middle of the conflict and turmoil of our world in order that I can bring peace between God and men, in order that I can extend peace once again between people. I'm hearing a lot these days online and social media and in conversation and Christians saying, man, we just need Jesus. The world just needs Jesus. And, and yes, that is true. But, but can I go a little further than that? Because the truth is you're not saved because Jesus. Jesus existed in heaven from eternity past and men and women were still dead in their sins. You weren't saved because Jesus you were saved because Jesus gave up the prerogatives of heaven, the privilege and the power, and yes, even the peace to step into suffering and turmoil and conflict and to grab hold of you and rescue you. What the world needs, what the world needs is Christians that look like Jesus. What the world needs is people who are willing to follow Jesus so wholeheartedly that they'll let go of power, let go of privilege, humble themselves, serve, maybe even suffer so other people can see him and be saved. And this is what Jesus says will be true of peacemakers. Matthew 5 verse 9 again. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. Here's the second point I want to make this morning. Peacemakers shine out. Peacemakers shine out. There's a word here that Jesus uses when he says they'll be called sons of God. He has two options, basically, in the original Greek. He can use the word tekna, which often is translated as child. It just means there's a relational affinity. This person belongs to this person. This is not the word that Jesus uses. He uses a different word. He uses the word huios. And the difference, the subtle difference in these two words is tekna conveys relationship where huios conveys recognition or resemblance. Here's what Jesus is saying. Not only that peacemakers will be people that belong to God, though they will, peacemakers are going to look like their father Jesus. That they're going to resemble, they're going to have a recognition about them and people are going to look at them and go, man, that person reminds me of Christ. Last week, my wife and I were outside with our four-year-old. I don't know the circumstances of why our other two kids weren't outside with us, but they weren't in this uh, instance. And our four-year-old Jonah was out there with us. And my wife just kind of on a whim said, oh, Jonah, what kind of human are you going to be? And he immediately shot back. He said, mom, you know what kind of human I'm going to be. I'm going to be just like dad. And I'm going to preach and everybody's going to know. <laughs> That's what he said. And I was like, oh man, I told her, I said, baby, you've got to write that down because that's so sweet. And then I thought, but maybe not just like me, like I hope he's better than me in some ways. But, but what a picture of a child saying, man, when I grow up, I want people to look at me and know who my dad is. 
Listen, Jesus is saying, if you'll be peacemakers, you'll demonstrate to the world what dad looks like. You're going to show them what Jesus looks like and what it looks like to love and to serve and to bring peace. Going back again to, to John Piper, he says this, God's children have the character of their father. What he loves, they love. What he pursues, they pursue. You can know God's children by whether they are willing to make sacrifices for peace the way that God did. Listen, a, a lot of us could choose the option of just staying out of it. You go back to childhood, Chris, and just crank the music up and just say, I'm not, just not going to get involved. The problem with that is this. We cannot shine out unless we show up. Right? This is why Jesus says just a few verses down from the verses we're in in Matthew 5, 14 and 15, you Christian, you follower of Jesus, you church are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Translation, the light works because it's in the right place. You don't light a candle and put it in a lit room. You light a candle because light is meant to dispel darkness. And if light says, no, no, I don't want to show up there where it's darkest, it's missing the purpose for which it exists. Church, we exist to be light in a dark world. We must show up. We must shine out. And when we do that, something beautiful happens. Listen to Matthew 5 verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Friends, this is not about us. This is not so people see our good works and go, man, what a great man, what a great woman. This is so people see our good works, our efforts to bring peace to our world, to bring justice, to, to administer love to those who are hurting, and they go, man, I want to follow the person they follow. I want to worship the God that they worship. This is what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. This is Paul's language in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20. He says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Did you know that God's message of reconciliation comes through you? That's what it means to be an ambassador. You are God's representative on the earth and on his behalf. The goal is not to impress people, but to implore them to be reconciled to God and to one another. That's the work that God has given to us. And Jesus says when we do it, people are going to see and they're going to want to glorify God because of it. Here's the third and final point I want to make. Peacemakers expect and accept persecution. Let me go back one more time to Matthew chapter 5 and verses 10 through 12. Jesus, continuing in the Beatitudes, says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, I think this aspect of the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 5 is a little different than the others. Because earlier in Matthew 5, he's going to say, listen, 
Uh, Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the meek and the merciful. And yet this one's a little different because Jesus, I don't think, is saying, hey, go seek out persecution because you'll be blessed for it. He's not saying that. What Jesus is saying is when you live as a peacemaker, when you strive for purity of heart, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's going to put you at odds with a world that doesn't value those things. So be ready, because blessed are the persecuted. It's the same reason that Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he said, everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone. So so if you're not facing any persecution, if the wind is just always at your back, no one's critical, no no one's reprimanding, no one's standing in opposition, perhaps it's not because you're so godly. Perhaps you're failing to step into the places you need to be found. Paul said, expect it. It's coming. And when it comes, don't complain, don't point the finger, don't fight back. Just expect that where you are in this fallen world, you're going to experience hardship. You're going to experience opposition. To illustrate this, if if you were appointed as the ambassador to Iran, let's just use uh, an example. What you would not do is show up in uh, Tehran and and, and expect for a huge parade to be thrown to you and people to just lie in the streets and applaud you and thank you for being there, right? You go in with a little caution. There's some tension between our nations and and there's some government stuff going on. We're we're, we're kind of walking lightly and and you know that you're an ambassador in a foreign nation and you would not expect anything more than that. Could it be that our problem is we've forgotten that we're in a foreign land? We've become so comfortable. Life's been pretty good, right? I can pursue the dream. I've got freedom. I've got all these things. And yes, we thank God for those things. But if 2020 has done nothing else for me, can I tell you what it's done? It has untethered me to my love affair with this world and caused me to open my hands and say, come Lord Jesus. I I don't belong here. You know, like I will, I will work and I will pursue and I, and I will seek after, but ultimately my hope is somewhere else. Ultimately my citizenship is in another place. This is why Paul said in Philippians 3 verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Could it be friends that God is inviting us to look up, to raise our eyes from where they have been to where he is, to seek the things that are above. If we could, let's go back to that picture of the embassy. The, the, the picture I had up here, this is the embassy in Iran. I want you to notice something about the picture. And it stands out, it's obvious, that even though this is in a foreign nation, the flag that flies over it is what? It's the flag of the United States of America. No one in that embassy has forgotten where they belong and whose they are. Their flag still flies. Can I ask you, church, what flag are you flying over your life? What's the thing that's most identifiable with you? When somebody looks at your social media, somebody has a conversation with you, when you show up at the the family reunion, they go, oh, there's so-and-so. We know what he's going to talk about. Uh, We know the stance he's going to take. We know the argument we're going to, or do you show up and they go, man, that, that person's a follower of Jesus. That person cherishes the gospel above everything else. See, citizens of the earthly kingdom say something like this. 
I would be willing to, to, uh, for you to experience persecution as long as I know peace. That's, a, that's an earthly way of thinking. So, so as long as I have peace, I really don't care what's going on with you. I don't care if you suffer. I don't care if you face injustice. Look at my life. I'm at peace. But citizens of God's kingdom turn that around. And they say something like this. I'm willing to face persecution so that you may know peace. This is the model of Jesus. This is the example of the one we claim to follow. As we close, I want to give you an illustration of this that I thought was so compelling, and it came through text earlier this week. A friend of mine and and a good friend of our church, Tim, uh, he works with local law enforcement. He's here many weekends protecting us and, and those kinds of things. He got two texts earlier this week on Friday. If you weren't aware, Friday, June 12, 2020, marked the four-year anniversary of the Pulse shooting. And it would be appropriate to pause for a moment and recognize that four years ago, 49 people were taken from us, 49 members of our community violently, hatefully killed. And those families and those friends, they're still trying to put the pieces back together. But when things were at their worst on that night of June 12, 2016, law enforcement showed up and one of those was our friend Tim. And he was one of the first people to break through that wall and get inside the pulse while the bullets were still ringing. And you know what he did? He went and grabbed people and physically dragged them out to safety. The two texts he received were from individuals that he did just that for that he literally laid hold of and rescued. And they just texted to say, Tim, thank you for what you did for me then. Can I tell you that that is such a picture of what Jesus did for us? That there was no way out of our condition. We could not work our way out of our sin condition, out of our fallenness. We couldn't build a bridge to heaven. Jesus had to come where we were and make peace by his blood shed on the cross, and he was willing to do it. And now he turns the attention and says, and now church, would you follow me and do the same? Can you imagine if Tim and his team had shown up and they hear the bullets ringing and the craziness and the chaos and go, time out. I'm a peace person. I don't want to go in there. I want to go fishing on a lake. Like, I just want to be at home with my family. That, those guys knew they had a job to do, and they had to go in. Church, I would implore you, we've been given a job. We've been given an assignment. And at this moment in history, when there is tension and there is conflict and there is turmoil, will we enter in and be peacemakers? I'm going to ask if you would as we close, just to to close your eyes, whether you're in the room or even on the stream, just for a moment, would you close your eyes? And I, I want to say this. There may be some of you that Yes, there's turmoil around you. Yes, there's conflict in our world, but you're going, Chris, but it's deeper than that for me. I don't have peace in my own heart. I don't have peace in my soul. I don't have confidence that I have peace with God, that my relationship with my creator has been restored. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, if you don't have faith, you don't have peace. And I want to invite you right where you're at in this moment, symbolically just to drop the anchor of faith in the storm of chaos that we're in and say, God, I'm yours. Jesus, I put my full trust in you and I'm letting go. And if you would right now, just where you're at, if you need to make that decision to put trust in Jesus, 
would you just open up your hands as a symbol, as a sign of dropping that anchor of faith? Would you look up at me? To the rest of you watching and in the room, I want to leave you with two simple questions. The first is this. It's actually not a question, but it's a statement. Name something or someone that you have been running from that you think God may be calling you to run to. Man, that disrepair in the family because you're pro this and they're anti that and we got into it and I need to go, I need to go and make reconciliation. Or maybe it's a, a people group or a community and you go, man, I've been so hurt by or I'm so suspicious of and I, and I, and I don't want to re- retreat from. I want to follow Jesus. I want to move too. Here's the second question. What is the flag that you have flown over your life to the detriment or the diminishing of the gospel witness? What's the first thing, that that thing that you go, man, this is who I am. This is what I lead with. Might it be time to take down the flag of whatever that is and raise the banner of the gospel? Nothing will be more important than Jesus. Nothing will be sweeter than the fellowship of the body of Christ. And we might think different, and we're going to look different. We might even vote different, but we're one in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I am asking you to do what your heart's desire is to do, to bring shalom, to bring peace to our world. God, we can't manufacture it. We, we, we can't uh, uh, do enough effort to achieve it. But God, would you pour your peace into our hearts by the Holy Spirit? And would that peace overflow into our homes and overflow out of our homes into our neighborhoods and out of, out of our neighborhoods overflow into our city streets and into our world? God, would be, we be the people of peace that you've called us to be? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.